coming up in this episode of Can You Believe It? Hang on. <laughs> so I actually, I actually giving... just got the chills. Yeah, in. I, I think got... it was mostly from Brady's reaction. I, I was sensing a bit of disdain to this story already. No, I just uh, the paranormal ghosts, bumpy ones in the knot are just that they, they piss me off. <laughs> And the local bartender poured drinks at a party. <laughs> you want beer or wine? <laughs> UFOs in the skies, Illuminati's controlling your life. Can you believe it? Rob circles and Jesus toast. The time that kiss your fuck to ghost. Hello and welcome to Can You Believe It, a semi-regular podcast on the unexplained that asks the all-important question, can you believe it? My name is Matt Neal and I'm joined, as per usual, by Australia's answer to David Hasselhoff, the Colonel. Thanks for joining us, Colonel. Howdy ho I'm also joined by off-Broadway star and leg spin specialist, Brady Jones. Yes, finally. <laughs> Some actual credentials. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we dive into today's tale of objectionable oddity, let's hear a message from our sponsor, Colonel. Uh, fantastic sponsor this week, Doctor. Um, it comes to us from uh, the good people at... Uh, uh, where is it here? Just, just uh, read Two it. birds, one stone whiskey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, do you regularly wake up bleeding after a big night out? And I'm sure we all do. Uh, then you need two birds, one stone whiskey. The only surgery grade whiskey. It's antiseptic, anesthetic, and goes down smooth. Mixed with ice for a refreshing drink or mixed with a bullet wound for a refreshing healing sensation. Outlawed in 32 countries, but due to a medical loophole, it's available here in Australia. Two birds, one stone whiskey. Rub yourself the right way. Excellent. Thank you. Two birds, one stone whiskey. All right. You ready for this, gentlemen? Yep. Strapped in. Strap on and strap in. Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., at about 3 a.m. on November 13, 1974, took a .35 caliber lever-action rifle and killed his parents, his two brothers, and two sisters while they had all been sleeping in their home on Long Island, New York. What the hell? That's <laughs> uh, just, just a happy start. Yeah, this do is... you know what this is already, yeah, Colonel? I do. Yeah. <laughs> this is very dark t- to already. Yep. I'm afraid. During DeFeo Jr.'s trial, his attorney, William Weber, tried to mount an insanity plea. DeFeo Jr. told the court that in the lead-up to the killings, he had heard voices telling him to do things, evil things. He presumed the voice was God. The insanity plea was dismissed. Psychiatrist Dr. Harold Zolan, who was a witness for the prosecution, said that DeFeo Jr. used heroin and LSD and had antisocial personality disorder, but he was not insane and was aware of his actions at the time of the killings. On December the 4th, 1975, DeFeo Jr. was sentenced to 150 years in jail. For the year prior to his sentencing, the house at 112 Ocean Avenue, where the killings had taken place, stood vacant and for sale. No one wanted to buy it, and everyone who inquired about it quickly learned or realized that this was the house of the DeFeo murders. But exactly a fortnight after DeFeo Jr. was sentenced, a new family moved into the house. They were the Lutz family. George and Kathy Lutz. You're dawning a realisation? You know, Is this, this Amityville? Yes. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So th- a lot of this probably won't be new to you both then. But can I? Yeah, go. Can I just say, like, when I watched the movie when I was a kid, I had a unusual fear of walk when I was like walking the dog at night time, and looking into a house that wasn't lit, that I'd see eyes looking back at me. Okay. <laughs> like, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like ten. <laughs> The Lutz family, George and Kathy Lutz, aged 28 and 30, respectively, and their three children from Kathy's previous marriage, Daniel, aged 9, Christopher, aged 7, and Melissa, aged 5. With them came their dog, Harry. They had bought the six-bedroom, two-story house with river frontage for $80,000 US, which is equivalent to about 380000 US in today's money, which would be about uh $700,000 Australian mm-hmm. no probably closer to 650 okay yeah cool so for that's a pretty good price I'd well yeah definitely <laughs> the low price was due to its recent bloody history and its resulting inability to sell but the Lutzes didn't care about what had happened in the house they just knew it was a bargain and they were keen to move in <laughs> what could possibly go wrong <laughs> A friend of George Lutz had suggested getting the house breast... Breast. <laughs> breast examined. Possibly. Um, let me just... Uh, I'm going to have to uh, have you raise your arms, house, and... Uh, ooh, that's lumpy. <laughs> Turn your head and cough. Uh, a friend of George Lutz had suggested getting the house blessed by a priest, just in case. So the Lutzes invited a priest they knew, Father Rolf J. Pecorero... And on the day they moved in, Father Pecorero blessed the house. Pecorero! Now, in Jay Anson's original book, The Amateurville Horror, on what, uh, about what allegedly unfolded at 112 Ocean Avenue, Father Pecorero, who is called Father Mancuso in the book for privacy reasons, arrived at the home and while alone in the lounge room began flicking holy water around as part of the ritual of blessing. That's when he heard a male voice from behind him say, Get out! Father Pecorero looked around, but there was no one there. He was puzzled, but completed the blessing of the home. I'm hiding behind the plant, the pot plant, but get out. I'm behind the couch. Uh, He decided not to mention... Okay, this is one of many weird things. But he decided not to mention what he had heard to the Lutzes. But when they politely invited the priest to stay for dinner, he declined and left. Oh, what a dick. Rude. Uh, later while driving home, Father Pecorero's car was forced off the road, but there were no other cars in sight. When he got back on the road, the bonnet flew up, smashing the windscreen, and a door swung open by itself. Uh, it sounds like he maybe had a little bit of a drinky drinky <laughs> and crashed his car. And then drink, drink, drive, said, oh, drive, yeah, crash, no, crash. There, was a, there was a phantom ghost car trying to run me off the road, but I couldn't see it. That's just a ridiculous claim. You know, in the movies, how like there's always that one little insignificant scene at the start that turns out being the cause of everything. Mm. So it's not actually a haunted house. He just wanted cover for his <laughs> car insurance. <laughs> it was haunted. I tell you. Spirits followed me home. <laughs> so you have a breathalyzer rating of 0. 0.10. <laughs> he eventually got the car to a mechanic who rang the p- priest later to say the wipers had turned themselves on and couldn't be turned off. Maybe mm. he's got a really shit mechanic. Uh, or maybe he like had crashed his car and just stuffed up some kind of mechanical thing and it was I mean, in, stuck on. In terms of haunting stuff, that's not really the scariest thing. Oh, the windscreen wipers! <laughs> 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 just really an... Like when it's dry. 
<laughs> They're seeing into my soul. Chilling. Back at the house, the family settled in and moved into their respective rooms. Things were going well. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> but slowly that began to change. George kept finding himself waking up at exactly 3.15 each morning. He was always cold and easy to anger. The kids became unruly and George and Kathy began to lash out at them. On December 22nd, four days after moving in, Kathy was sitting downstairs when she felt someone come up behind her and give her a hug. When one of the children cried out from upstairs, Kathy suddenly realized no one was actually there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Uh, meanwhile, oh. and, but also kind of comforting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, upstairs, the kids had noticed the toilet bowl had turned black. The kids denied having anything to do with it, and Kathy was puzzled. <laughs> Kids always deny that. Yeah. yeah. Did you do this weird thing? Yeah. No. Did you put <laughs> who dirt fucking in broke the toilet? To- not me. Who, no. put, who put dirt in the toilet? Ghost. Ghost, <laughs> mum. I think it was the ghost. Let's oh, make it a gra- well, I mean, it must ghost. Have been a ghost. My child would never lie. <laughs> they then discovered the second toilet in the master bedroom's ensuite had also turned black. Oh, great. <laughs> on top of on top of that, a putrid smell filled the air. That just sounds like. Dad's gone to the toilet, dropped the kids off at the pool yep. and just hasn't, hasn't, flush. hasn't lit the candle. <laughs> or, uh, or uh, you know, um, the likely scenario of just being bad plumbing, um, you know, like the... Don't try and bring logic and rationality to this. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sensing a bit of disdain to this story already. No, I just... Uh, the paranormal ghosts, bumpy ones in the knot are just... that They piss me off. <laughs> Continue. Okay. As the as the whole family moved around the house searching for a source of the stench, Kathy entered the fourth bedroom upstairs, which was now her sewing room. On the inside of the window was a buzzing swarm of flies. Yep. Mm. So like a natural naturally occurring yeah. species being yep. somewhere where they where they normally are. Yep, okay, check, check. I mean whenever I've just been outside on a summer's day and just are mobbed by flies, I instantly think ghosts. Yeah. Uh, am I going to have to play devil's avocado the whole way through this one? I think yes. so, yes. Okay. When was the last time you had a massive swarm of flies, like a, in a hive kind of formation, stuck to a window? A in hive your house? formation. Okay, so... Well, you know, so they, like, uh, no, they actually looked like a hive. And <laughs> well, no, like, you, you know, when you see, like, yeah. stuck to yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did, she, a did she capture well, a think, photo yeah. so, so we can confirm that they were actually in a hive fo- formation? Don't... Don't bring photo evidence into a paranormal story. <laughs> Why didn't they film it? <laughs> Why didn't they film it on their phone? That night, once again, George awoke at 3.15am. Uh, as had become his habit, he began walking around the house, often going outside to check the boat shed as well. Sometimes on his now nightly round, he heard knocking sounds or found doors or gates opened. On this night, he found the front door had been almost completely ripped off its hinges. To all appearances, it appeared the door had been busted open from the inside. Oh, boy. It's an angry duck. (laughs) (laughs) By December 23, five days after moving in, George and Kathy were constantly arguing. George was forever stoking the fire, unable to get the chill off, despite everyone else feeling fine and the house thermostat declaring it to be 27 degrees Celsius. Stop walking around in the nude and put some pants on. Put some fucking clothes on. Uh, or 80 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) (laughs) The children began fighting and Melissa started asking about whether angels could talk. 
that's all just normal children behavior. Yeah, uh, and yeah. so far I haven't mm. heard or seen apart from the door being kicked in from from the inside. Yeah, which you would go, well, I'm going to need to take a photo of that for insurance purposes. Like, yeah, you know, obviously there's some kind of storm damage or whatever. But I mean, a boathouse. No, boat no, it was, house. Front, it was the front door of the house. So when he he. Yeah, know. of the boathouse, but there'd be no, an opening around the back of the boathouse. No, it was the front, front, front door of the, of the actual house. house. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And he just you'd go out and check everything, but then when he came back to the house, oh. the front door had been kicked in from the inside. Yep. Apparently, yeah, I'm feeling spooky. Yep. So, like your, your immediate reaction, <laughs> and I know, look, cameras weren't as prevalent as they you know are today. Like you know, we've got them all in our pockets, but mm. back then, you know, you would have like a Polaroid camera or something yeah. like that that you could just. You it's know, not like most families had cameras. Not like cameras hadn't been invented. Exactly. And you'd still need to take photos for insurance purposes if you were going to claim damage to your house or your property. We'll, and we'll just put a pin in this one. So this is someone has to have come to repair this, I'm assuming. Yeah. I don't know that he's he's not a he's not a builder or a carpenter by trade. So what what, what was his profession um, actually? That will come up. I can't remember. I think I've got that in somewhere. Was he like a contractor or something like that? Or a builder yeah, or something? Or it, uh, a surveyor, I think he might have been. Um, something to do with property. But- yeah, land surveying. So, I mean, he'd have a general idea around sort of construction-ish, Maybe. you know. But let's let's assume that for a job like that, you, he's probably there's one person that he would have brought in who would have seen yeah. the damage to fix yep. it. So, okay, let's just that's one. Just putting a pin on that one. Scoreboard yeah. one. Yeah, one to Amityville. <laughs> uh, a crucifix hanging in a walk-in wardrobe turned itself upside down. Mm, do they observe it or do they watch it slowly rotating? Yeah. Like that would be cool, but no, I think it's that just would scare the shit. Out yeah, of me. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Father Pecorero was unwell. He had been thinking a lot about his visit to the Lutzes the week before. While suffering from a flu-induced fever, a vision of Kathy's sewing room came to him, along with a feeling of evil. What? He's receiving a vision of a sewing room. Well, he's, he's, and a feeling of evil. Yeah. He can mm. he can see him he can he's seeing that room that he visited at the house. Uh, so when he went to the house, he did the the he did um, a blessing, yeah, the yeah. water and stuff, and yeah. and then he heard a voice say, "Get out!" Yeah, and that was in that room. No, was that it? was in the lounge room. Right. But now so- he's seeing the sewing room in his mind mm-hmm. in in his fever dream, and he's got a sense of evil. So he, so he has an imagination. He's able to imagine things in his mind. That that's all that that proves at this point. Yes, but I mean it's it's <laughs> a crazy fever dream. It's like when you see something and then think back to that one weirdly specific moment, and I mean he's been feeling crook and whatnot. Uh, yeah. He's mixing that with a feeling of evil. Well, I mean I've I've been really sick before and fucking delirious. So <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. So okay. it could be explained by the, uh, the fact that he's just got a flu yeah, and he's yeah yeah yeah, yeah, okay, yeah mind's no. racing yeah. Uh, on Christmas Eve, Father Pecorero rang the Lutzes. Over the course of the conversation, George mentioned the swarm of flies in the sewing room, which was still largely unpacked. George, I don't want you or Kathy or the children to go back into that room, the priest said. You have to stay out of there. Why, Father, replied George. What's up there? There was a loud crackling sound on the phone line and then it went dead. The priest tried to call back and George waited for a return call before then trying to call back himself. But none of the calls got through to the opposite so end. Can I just ask, uh, who, is re- who is reporting this like who was reporting this okay, so section the, of the story? So the major source for the first part of this story is Jay Anson's book. Oh, the book, the Amateur of Horror, right? Which at the time was claimed to be a true account 
mm-hmm. of what happened. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to all the uh, hole poking later, aren't we? Uh, yeah. yeah, possibly yeah. after the can you believe yeah. the question. No, because I do need that just for some <laughs> yeah. sleep tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're actually really creeped out <laughs> by give, ghosts and stuff, aren't you? Is, like, this give, uh, is that what you're saying, like poltergeist? Well, this is digging into some childhood yeah, repressed fears. Yeah, this fears. is more so the fact that I watched Amityville Horror when Right, I was okay. Yeah. Are you talking about like the, the first one? Which, yeah, the like, first, yeah. yeah the like, and not the Ryan Reynolds remake. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no. okay, right. Uh, yep. They're like the 1981 with, was it Karen Allen that was in it? Or? Oh, I can't remember. I, I can picture their faces, but I couldn't tell you what their names are, the, the two main characters. Later that night, George discovered the window of the sewing room open and the flies had returned. On Christmas morning at 3.15am, George awoke as usual and began his round of the house, eventually heading out to the boat shed. The door to the boat shed was locked and secured, but as he headed back to the house, he looked up at Melissa's bedroom. <laughs> There in the window stood Melissa, and behind her was the face of a pig with glowing red eyes. Oh, my God. Hang on. <laughs> so I actually, I actually giving... just got the chills, yeah, and I, I got... think it was mostly from Brady's reaction. <laughs> I got it, too. Because as I, I get to see the words come out, we're like, oh, this is the good bit that's, like, kind of cool. It's, this is, the, uh, this so is the freaky bit. I actually I, I don't remember this, this scene from the film, so uh, I just want to ask you guys again. So... When he's looking back up to the house, yep. and it's like you know how the house sort of has those two eye kind of windows oh, on the like, front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. And so it's it's, this it's one of those windows. No, no, it's actually a window on the side of the house. I think. Oh, There's okay. a plan. You can see it from the boathouse. Yeah, the so boat basically is down the back. he turns around and looks straight up at the house, and yeah. I think it's like second story. At least this is yeah. in the movie because I haven't forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he looks up there, he can see his, did you say his wife? No, his daughter, Melissa, his five-year-old. Yeah. Five-year-old standing there. And then behind her is a disembodied floating pig's head. Is that what you're saying? That it there's is? A, a face of a pig with glowing red eyes. Yeah. So, it, so there's no body attached. He, he, he hasn't. His, it's a five-year-old. The room's not lit, Like, but he can see from the light outside, he can see... His so it is a disembodied floating pig's head I, I, I behind his five-year-old. I mean, daughter. there's also the fact that his daughter is up at like three twenty, like however long it takes him to get out to the boathouse, turn around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she could have just woken up because dad's up again. <laughs> okay, well, so okay. the next bit, George raced inside Melissa's room. He turned on the light. Melissa was fast asleep. Okay, and in the corner of her room, a <gasps> rocking chair was rocking back and forth. <laughs> This is paining you. This is causing you pain. It is. But I do like, the, I, d- I did get a chill with this thing, that that image of yeah. the glowing red eyes behind the daughter looking in the window. I told you. Yeah. See, yeah. That, like as like a 10, 11 year old kid, that is freaky. Yeah. yeah okay. That's some pants yeah. wedding like, and, and look, I definitely felt those chills yeah. too. So continue. Good. The family away from Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to be as frightened yeah. about this yeah. as you are. We want you to have a good dose of the Wiggins by the end of this. The family awoke for Christmas, and after the exchanging of gifts, George and Kathy warned their kids to stay out of the sewing room. Danny and Chris questioned why, but Melissa said she knew why. Jody's in there, she said. Who's Jody? asked Danny. He's my friend. He's a pig. So, okay, okay. So, what connection is there of, of, of a pig to this guy who murdered his family before uh, that? Is there any... Can it, well, did he have a pig's mask on when he was doing the from, murdering? Or? From a religious standpoint, like there's this whole thing about um, pigs perhaps being 
a bit more evil in terms of like the purity. If there was like a purity animal scale, is this does this come down to the whole "Thou shalt not eat pork" kind of Jewish well, thing? It's Old Testament kind of thing. Yeah, maybe because they're unclean animals. See, or I, I always thought that like you know the, I mean, a, if, the animal that's most directly connected with you know Satan and evil is the goat. Is the goat? Right? Yeah, yeah. So why the pig? It's just his fat cousin. Bad research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, look, I, I think it's it's just like oh, we but need to come a, up with some kind of scary. In a lot of those countries, they still eat goat, so it's like an unclean thing. I don't know. It, I'm, I'm just trying to spitball. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, there's there's valid things on both sides here. On Boxing Day, Melissa told her mother about Jody, um, who didn't think too much of it. The family was becoming more concerned about how the cold the house was, despite the roaring fires and cranked radiators in almost every room. Then the bad smell returned. Kathy felt herself self embraced again by an invisible force, and George was struck down by an intense case of diarrhea. Mm. Mm. Yep, so all normal things that can be explained by just... I don't know, the, I don't know about the, being embraced by an invisible force being a regular thing you explain other than you guys you're, make, you're making shit up. But yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But I think it's a bit of a stretch, I'm going to say, to blame uh, your diarrhea on having a haunted house. Yes. Mm. That's. I mean, at that point, you're just kind of fishing for everything. Well, it's just everything that goes, yeah, oh, yeah. My, I just dropped a cup. Oh, mm. it's because the house is haunted. That kind of just yeah. everything. Uh, Kathy also started to have visions and dreams about the DeFeos. She, she suddenly knew details about how and where in the house the family members had died and that Mrs. DeFeo had been having an affair. Mm. On December 27, two visitors came to the house. One was an aunt who refused to enter certain rooms and then left quickly. <laughs> so this is, this, mm-hmm. this is another person who's come to the house. The second, so three, was a neighborhood boy who refused to enter beyond the foyer. Both visitors seemed frightened of the house. Later that day, the Lassers discovered a secret room that had been walled off in the basement. George described the, room, the smell in the room as being like the smell of blood. So that irony. So what was what yeah, was that kind in of coppery kind of yeah, yeah yeah what was in the room? Um, you know, severed heads, um, axes, blood, blood chains, <laughs> manacles. What was in the room? Nothing. Uh, at that stage, yeah, nothing. Nothing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. it's an old house with a bad smell mm-hmm. in the basement. Okay. Just throwing a bit of blood and bone around on the floor. No, it has, has to be <laughs> demons then. <laughs> over the pre- now, over the previous nine days, George had stopped shaving. He barely bothered going to work and rarely showered. On December 28, for reasons he couldn't explain, George went for a drink at a bar called The Witch's Brew. It was a regular haunt of Ronnie DeFeo Jr. In fact, the day after he killed his parents and siblings, DeFeo had gone for a drink at The Witch's Brew just prior to his arrest. When George Lutz entered the bar, the bartender's mind was blown. George was a dead ringer for DeFeo. Oh, boy. So, that's um, the the bar owner or the bar manager had been interviewed by the author and that's what... That would apparently seem to be the so case. So, we've got four... Would be able to corroborate four, that. Four corroborating, corroborating the, eyewitnesses now. Yep. The bar manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, five if you count the priest. Um, 
And also, I like the idea of um, just stop shaving, stop showering, and like your wife comes home and goes, you st- "Why are you bathing? What is? What is wrong?" Sorry, honey, haunted. Can't do it. I wish I had a thought of that when I was like a week deep into playing Red Dead. Flat out, <laughs> <laughs> our house is haunted. Uh, can't yeah. pause now. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get the demons out by finishing the game. So, uh, can, can, can you get me some cheesels and some Mountain Dew when you go to the shop? It's for a ritual. A, a, a ritual cleansing. I need to to cleanse myself of the evil devil spirits. <laughs> I go for a drink later. Well, what <laughs> but why don't you just have a shower? No, no, no. Can't yeah. do that. No. Devil's rules. Yeah. Got to remain unclean. Unclean. <laughs> Smells of blood. Meanwhile, back at home, Kathy was in the lounge room when she thought she saw a small statue of a lion move. When he got home from the bar, George tripped over the statue, thanks to the lion having been relocated from its usual spot near the fire. The trip sprained his ankle, but Kathy noticed bite marks on the saw joint. Now, firstly, I've just been at the bar and then I've tripped over something when I've got home. Mm. Yeah. I'm not going to say that's real strong evidence for a haunting. Mm. More that you've been to a bar. And so, like, yeah, the, the, the bite force of a lion would be quite significant. and A lion statue. A lion. Oh, so, so, oh, so, so, yeah, just, yeah. oh, yeah. So, yeah. so, when they bite people, what's, what's the general... <laughs> Apparently, um, it's just damage. bite marks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you just fall over when, when you're bitten by a lion <laughs> yeah. statue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's probably lucky that For he had alcohol. Sake. It would have been a pretty traumatic experience, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, I bet, do you have some um, t- two birds, one stone whiskey? Because you could have rubbed that. <laughs> could have rubbed that on the, on the bite mark. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's better. And one for me. Yeah. <laughs> one for the ankle. <laughs> um, back at Father Pecorero's apartment, and the priest was still sick. He couldn't stop thinking about the house on Ocean Avenue and had been battling a fever for a week, despite the doctor's assurances that the flu should have passed in a day or two. Painful welts had also appeared on the palms of his hands. They looked like stigmata, the wounds of Christ, and sure enough, they started bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's which I mean, it's so easy to fake that you just get a lighter, put it on your hand, get a, a, a burn blister or something going, make it bleed like... So easy to fake that's, that. Uh, that that's stuff. a fair amount of uh, slightly masochistic effort to go to. There, well, though. yeah. Look, uh, I've been known to go pretty hardcore when it comes to Halloween, <laughs> Halloween costumes. costumes. You know, I, I like to have a bit of you know believability. <clears throat> what are you dressed up as this year, Colonel? Ah, oh, wounds of Christ. What the fuck have you done to your hands? <laughs> I can see through them. <laughs> so that's why you're in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, around this time, George began doing some historical research and discovered that the land on which the house was built had been used by a Native American tribe ah. known as the Shinnecocks to, uh, as an area where they would leave their, quote, sick, mad, and dying, who would be kept in cages there until they died of exposure. Cages. Okay, um, I've got a question. Mm. Was uh, Stephen King's The Shining released before? Or Pet Cemetery? Shining, Shining was before because the film came out in... Uh, when did The Shining come out in the movie? 70s? What do you mean 70s? 76? 77? 76, no, 70s. 77, around maybe, there. Maybe, maybe it was after this, actually, possibly. But the book would have been out before this, I think. Well before, yeah. yeah. So, they would they could have picked up the whole, ooh, you know, you blame it on the... Um, mm, Indian burial ground Native thing. Native American yeah. burial mm. ground thing. Yeah. Cause, and that's in Pet Cemetery as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think that was... I certainly turned into a film after yeah. this time. What are we in? 1970... Five. Yeah. I think it was after. The 
I mean, Native American people caging their own people doesn't sound right either. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we'll put a pin in that one too. Yeah. Um, however, the Native Americans buried these unfortunate people else- elsewhere because they believed the land to be inhabited by demons. George also learned a demon worshipper had lived within 500 meters of the house and may have been buried on the property. Uh, any corroborating evidence for the demon worshipper? What living? have I told you about asking for corroborating evidence in paranormal cases? <laughs> What episode is this? Like, no. yeah. <laughs> um, the Lutzes stayed on, uh, stayed in on New Year's Eve. Things were becoming increasingly tense among the family members. Well, that's a good idea. Everyone's having a shit time. Let's all stay together indoors for New Year's Eve. Mm. George and Kathy had begun wondering aloud if the house was haunted. Only now do they start going, oh... Maybe it's haunted. Like, mm. I've been cuddled by ghost hands. Like, I've been, you know, seen a seen demonic pig a demonic in the window. Pig in the window. The door was kicked open from the, from the inside. This is ridiculous. Like, wouldn't you go, okay, either there's some structural problems with my house, <laughs> you know, at the very least. Yeah. You know, you've got to <laughs> just <laughs> pin it all down to structural yeah. problems. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, I think your slab's slightly sinking. And so, the, the causes of that will be uh, manifestations of pig eyes, uh, large swarms of flies, and your front door will just burst open. Yeah, but that's all um, sti- sinking slab yeah, and, syndrome, and, we call it in the business. Yeah, yeah. Any lion statues that you might have about, oh, uh, yeah, you'll have they'll get, probably animate and, and, and attack you and yeah. bite. Um, you might find some secret rooms that smell of blood too, but they again, just sinking slab syndrome. So, yeah, it, yeah don't worry you're, you're, you're really going to have to look at that foundation, get that sorted. <laughs> the worst bit is that, like... Something like that does account for like shitty water coming up through the toilet, bad smell, which is going to attract flies. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Groaning and moaning in the house. Crucifix yeah. turning upside down because you know the wall's unstable or something. Yep, like, <laughs> just does a full <laughs> full <laughs> way. <Yeah. laughs> oh, crazy walls in yeah. this house. George, George had even gone to a newspaper office to research the murder of the DeFeos, looking for some kind of an answer. And as the couple stared into the blazing fire on New Year's Eve, the figure of a demon with horns and a white peaked hood on its head appeared in the flames, burning itself white hot into the black soot of the fireplace. Half the demon's head looked like it had been blown away by a shotgun blast. Mm. What, do you, what do you call it when you can see faces and things and shapes? Paradoilia? Yeah, uh, para, paradolios. I, yeah, I, like I, I can never get the pronunciation no. of, of that word correct. But um, so, or it's just like uh, you've got a drug problem, <laughs> like you actually. Mm. Yeah. The next night, around ten p.m., George extinguished the fire in the lounge room, and Kathy turned out the light as they uh, uh, as they prepared to head upstairs to Let bed. Let me just put this demon fire out. <laughs> like, well, that's enough entertainment for one evening, yeah. honey. Let's go to bed. <laughs> That was when Kathy saw it, two red glowing eyes peering in through the window. Kathy screamed and George ran outside in pursuit of the red-eyed creature, which had fled. Armed with a talk of those chills again. It's the, there's something about this, the red eyes period that just... You laughed at me. Gets I me. just want to yeah. like, say. So. Uh, you with laughed the- at little 10-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> armed with a torch, George looked on the snowy ground and saw a trail of prints that were... That- Uh, and they weren't like any made by a person. They were the prints of cloven hooves, like those of an enormous pig. 
Told you. Giant devil pig. Yep. Devil that's, animal. That's the name of my next band. Giant devil pig. <laughs> it, was t- it was too cold and dark to search more and the creature was clearly gone. The next morning, the prints were still there and in the early morning light, George followed them from outside the window around to the garage. The door of the garage had been torn from its metal frame, a feat that would have taken more than one man. Mm. Photos? Strangely, no. No. Mm. But again, another tradesman will need to get around to fix that. So we're up to about six potential corroborating witnesses now. Mm. The fact that he, that at no point during what has occurred in the story so far, has he gone, okay, like to be able to explain this to people, I need to document it somehow. Even like keeping a journal and writing down what has occurred the entire time, you know, with measurements and, and that sort of thing. Like I need to be able to prove this story to the but people that I'm going to tell. How right? many how many weird things happening before you actually start doing Because I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but that's not a natural thing for me to start documenting. Dear Diary. Today I was watching the fire and there was a white peaked demon head in there. Well, I'm just saying, like you know, in, in, but there is a point though. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, there definitely it's not is a quite point. Like it's not like the frog in the boiling water thing where they just you don't realise it's getting hotter and hotter because you get mm. more and more used to it. It's weird things are happening and they're becoming increasingly weirder and they're just apparently inexplicable. Mm. There and is if you be a care point about you go, protecting your family, if you care about protecting your family from this you know, let's say unexplained phenomenon that's going on, you'd be like, okay, I need to speak to some people who have some kind of expertise in this area and I need to show them evidence that this is actually occurring so I can protect my family, right? Mm. At no point does he come to that conclusion. Now, and also, at no po- uh, not by this point at least, have the police been contacted? Because if you really wanted to go, okay, where's shit's happening... Before you leap to haunted demon house, you got to think. You go. Someone's fucking with yeah, us. Yeah, kids or or if not the kids, then a someone stalker, peeping tom, some, yeah. somebody's fucking with us. Yep, yep. And I want to protect my family, so I'm going to set up a camera or or, you know, or, which, or I'm just going to call the cops. Like yeah. it's not in seventies. That that and is I mean, more. Yeah. What you'd that do. that whole angle, like the fact that there's people who are drawn to these kind of houses because something horrific has happened inside, and. Like you said, I mean, while there may not have been a devil worshipper, like people who get off on going to do like the Dharma, like tours around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So this is prime opportunity for like 1975 troll to just go... Oh, you're living in a house where some murders yeah. happened. If he Fucking, had, yeah. oh, I've got some great ideas for yeah. some pranks. If he had have <laughs> sat down and thought about it logically and went, okay, look, there's either something going on paranormal or there's like a, a stalker or a peeping Tom hassling me or my house is being damaged. Like my there's a problem with my foundation. <laughs> At no point did he go, okay, I need to document it. Like yeah, I, I, that's, yeah. Mm. Needing to clear his head, George went to work. And while he was out, Kathy again felt a presence envelop her, grabbing her around the waist and holding her wrists. She could smell cheap perfume in the air. When her son Danny entered the room, the presence disappeared. Kathy asked Danny to ring his father's office, but George had already left. Instead of coming home, he went to the witch's brew. This time, George struck up a conversation with the bartender, who revealed he had served drinks at a party at 112 Ocean Avenue back when the DeFeos owned it. The bartender mentioned he'd accidentally found the secret room in the basement when moving a keg and had noticed the small room was painted entirely red. Mm. 
As George went to leave, the bartender mentioned he'd had nightmares about the room. Sometimes I dreamed that people, I don't know who they were, were killing dogs and pigs in there and using their blood for some kind of ceremony, the bartender said. So, this is before the murder? Like, like before the actual murders? Yes. So, he's, he's saying people, he doesn't know who they were. No, he's, but just, he's, he's, he's having he's, dreams about this room he discovered while he was catering, basically, a party at the house. So, is there any evidence that the original murderer had, uh, you know, performed animal cruelty or, or no. slaughtered animals in... in no, so, this is it just could be... a bartender's weird dreams. Yeah, right. But so. also, how's this to go, you know, oh, yeah, nice talking to you, mate. Oh, before you go, um, <laughs> I just... Yeah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, so I've got... I've, I had this really weird dream about that secret room in your house. People were doing, like, animal sacrifices and uh, shit in it. Yeah, 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 yeah the room, yeah. the... the, the mm. uh, anyway, have a good night. <laughs> well, um, geez, geez, that's um, peculiar. <laughs> Why? Um, okay. Think that's a weird, weird place to end that conversation. But okay, just catch you later. Another weird uh, thing, thing that struck me weird was like, why would you ask a pub owner to come to your house to serve drinks? Uh, well, th- well, that's not totally weird. Yeah, if, party catering. Is yeah, like the, maybe the the venue they do yeah. party catering for houses. Mm, I don't okay. think we can mark that down to being haunted. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's very little we can mark down to being haunted no. at this point. No, that's definitely a sign of haunting, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and the local bartender poured drinks at a party. <laughs> do you want beer or wine? <laughs> When George got home, he and Kathy swapped stories and agreed it was time to get Father Pecorero back. The priest was still thinking about the house at 112 Ocean Avenue, partly due to the unshakable flu he'd seemingly contracted since he blessed the house, and also due to the development of bleeding stigmata-like blisters on the palms of his hands. (laughs) Playing with lighters. On a couple of... On a that, co- uh, like, uh, could you get the door for me? I just, I can't, like, you know, my hand sores. See, have a look there. Yeah. No, I, I can't touch anything. Can you can you pass me uh, a drink? Oh no! Wait, uh, no! Please, don't touch it. Can any- you hold that glass up to my face with a straw, please? I just I can't pick up anything <laughs> because I've got you know a look look it's occult sores here on my hands. Now, on a couple of occasions, uh, Father Pecorero had asked police officers he was friendly with to go do a drive by past the house and check on it. They never noticed anything untoward. When the Lutzes rang Father Pecorero to come back and bless the house again, he refused. Fuck no, ding. It's just like, nah, like, look, you know, I'm all about Jesus and God and everything, but fuck those guys. I'm not going near that place. They can burn in hell, in fact. <laughs> um, he couldn't bring himself to go back there. Instead, he performed a mass at the parish where he resided. As he was performing the ritual, the smell of human excrement began to creep through the rooms of the priests at the rectory. Father Pecoraro knew the smell of shit was, quote, always associated with the appearance of the devil. Okay. Well. <laughs> Bad plumbing? No. Satan. <laughs> yep. Just jumping straight to that. With the priest saying he wouldn't return, the Lutzes turned to the police. Hey, finally, we get there. The cop was sceptical and told them to call the priest, <laughs> but, said, but said he would get a car to stop by when he could spare one. Later that day, while changing a fuse in the basement, George noticed a foul smell. It was coming from the secret red room. It was the smell of shit, and it was so bad it made George throw up. Hello, uh, Satan here. I'm just wondering if you could open the door. I need to uh, pop out. It smells like shit in here. (laughs) So does does that mean if you shit yourself that you are possessed? Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) 
or just anywhere you go that you smell shit, it, uh, you, that means it's a, you, you, where you are is haunted. Hmm. Okay, now uh, I've kind of, I mean, I, I had to read skim the whole fucking book of mm. this, and so I've just kind of uh, summarised a little bit here. So over the next ten days, the following happened. The lion statue reappeared downstairs despite, despite having been stashed in the upstairs sewing room. Mm-hmm. The sound of a marching band was heard in the house regularly, usually on the floor above or below wherever the person was. Yeah, of course, because and like- Satan pigs love marching mm-hmm. bands. Satan is coming to Like the sound of a marching band is not like footsteps. Like footsteps, you know, is like a background. Like what the fuck? But a marching band. <laughs> this is the happiest haunting I've ever heard. It's ridiculous. And catchy. Uh, Kathy levitated in bed and appeared to have the face of a 90 year old woman. Uh, all right. It's, we're escalating. Yeah. Uh, a visitor sleeping in Melissa's room was woken by a sickly boy asking for help. Why the fuck would you visit? <laughs> but again, how many how many visitors are we up to now? And corroborating witnesses, including police as well, that have been mm. spoken to. We've got to be up to like 10 at least. Uh, the Lutzes tried to bless the house themselves using a crucifix and a few Our Fathers, Ooh. but their prayers were drowned out by an invisible chorus yelling, Will you stop? <laughs> <laughs> Please! Please. <laughs> You're hurting me! <laughs> oh. Green slime began oozing down the walls in the hall. Now that's a that's a a big one that always gets talked about in all the all the research I did on this. The the slime is just mm. keeps coming up. Okay, anyway. so you've got you've got green slime, some kind of substance coming out of your walls. Mm-hmm. You want to grab a sample of that so you could give it to perhaps a local university or you know the police to determine what actually the substance is. Is it poisonous? Is it going to cause damage to my children? I don't know. I'm going to grab a sample. No, no that's mm. no. That's- no. Too logical. No, I'm Mm. not going to do that. Windows were flung open by unseen forces in the middle of the night, sometimes smashing or being torn off their hinges. Jesus, the maintenance bill at this house (laughs) must be insane. (laughs) Long, hot welts appeared on George and Kathy's bodies. And the glowing red piggy eyes returned, and Melissa revealed Jodie had been talking to her and told her she was going to live forever in her room with the sick boy who had died there. Uh, that's great that gave me chills yeah that's again it's the red piggy eyes that's the thing yeah totally told ya Mm. (laughs) on January 14 the Lutzes planned to leave but found themselves (laughs) well better late than ever just like you get to that point where you know uh, yeah I just it's is is there a silly is there a scene in the movie because I haven't seen it I've only read the book and only sort of half read it but is there a scene in the movie where they like George defiantly says this is my house you get out or like you know that I'm not leaving I think when they finally leave they're running out of the house because and then then they swear that they're never going to go back in they actually run out of the house I'm fairly sure yeah but prior to that were they just like adamant no fuck it it's our house we're not leaving fuck you ghost I don't know if he (laughs) ever tries to confront the ghost in the 
in the I was going to say fictional, but <laughs> in in the uh, in the film. Uh, okay. Um, so on January 14, the Lutzes planned to leave, but found themselves unable to do so. Their van died. Lightning struck the garage. A storm lashed the house. The power went out. The slime returned. Kathy fell into a trance. The boys' beds moved around the room. George found himself pinned to his bed. The sound of voices could be heard throughout the horse house, along with the marching band. Doors and windows were torn off the hinges, and a giant hooded figure in white appeared at the top of the stairs and pointed at them. Far out. This is all in the space of this is the last night that they're in the house when they're trying to leave. All of this shit goes down. They're just like, okay, let's turn so this shit up to 11. And like every, you know, paranormal, ghostly, haunting thing that we can think of, let's yeah. jam it all into our story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, including it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah. <laughs> As just where we're going to start that one. Um, yeah, so all of that shit happened. By the time all this had happened, it was morning. The Lutzes were then able to start their van and fled the house never to return. The date was January 15, 1976. They had lived at 112 Ocean Avenue for 28 days. Can you believe it? Jeez, that's a pretty good knock. Putting up with all that supposed Yeah, four stuff. weeks of it. Can we go? I'm getting a no from the colonel. <laughs> so can we go yeah. through the you poking the holes in everything? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, we've touched on it briefly around. Well, but but before he um, explains away absolutely everything in this story, <laughs> I'm just going to say, only a fucking moron would fucking believe in, in, in what they're, they're saying. I love it's this. ridiculous. The- and in the 1970s, I get that you know this stuff was a little bit more prevalent. It was a little bit so more pseudosciencey. People mm. kind of still believed in ghosts and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. At no point whatsoever is there any documented evidence. Like even there was hauntings and stuff that happened, you know, tens to twenty years before these these things, and they got photos. Like you know, yeah. the hauntings in in England. I can't remember the town where it was in, but you know, the, of the girls floating out of their beds and all that sort of stuff. They had pictures. You know, at least that's something. Mm. At no point whatsoever did he go. I'm going to fucking get some evidence to prove that this is true. But is it like, and um, by no means am I on the advocating for the side of actual haunting and whatnot, but whenever there are photos brought up of like two girls floating in a bed, like, no, that's fake. You could easily do that. Just uh, suspend it from the ceiling, blah, blah, blah. But it's that, it's that, it's that intention to, to make an effort. Yeah. Yeah. That counts for something. And I mean, I think for when that sort of stuff is happening when you're like oh i've got photos of it that's when you're really trying to get people in on the lie <coughs> so i don't know just just with this no it's bullshit and like what you were saying people still believed in ghosts back in 1976 people believe in ghosts now oh yeah like, I, know. I but i guess yeah. like back back then it was sort of more prevalent like mm. I, I say this and you know my you know, my partner and, and other friends and, and family that I have believe in ghosts too. And it just sickens me. <laughs> it just sickens me. I just want to slap him upside the head. You but, do realize they will be listening to this. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> but it, it's just, it, it bugs me when, when you, because it's always like, oh no, my mother experienced something in a house and mm. she swears. So I believe it. Absolutely. It's like, Unless you're there, like it could be explained away by a myriad of other of other things. Have Have you uh, ever had something that's made you feel uncomfortable <laughs> that you couldn't explain? Only once. 
Okay. Only once, and it could be. I think it could be explained by just the human brain. So, what what happened was I was having this dream in uh, that I was in my old bedroom. Yeah. Uh, I I'd, I'd gone back to my parents' house to to stay for the weekend, and I was sleeping in my old bedroom. And I had this dream that I was lying in bed and I couldn't move. All right. Sleep and I, but yeah. I was actually awake. And then I could hear footsteps coming down the hallway. And as I, as I, I sort of like looked up towards the door, the door was wide open. The uh, uh, image of my mother and my grandmother came into the room, except they were kind of distorted and sort of strange. And then following them was like this little old lady in a white nightgown. And she sort of walked into the room and she looked to see who it was. And then she smiled and then I instantly woke up in the exact same position I was in the dream, looking at the exact same spot like mm. on the door. The door was open and I went, that's kind of weird, but it was a dream. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I mean, sleep, look, like the sleep paralysis feeling like I've had it's that a docu- before. It's, it is- it's a documented medical yeah, or yeah. physiological it, And I mean, it's, it is terrifying, that whole thing of <laughs> like knowing you're dreaming and trying to wake up and just... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's the only thing, and it's com- it's completely. I've been to haunted houses. Both uh, Matt and I have have been to haunted houses, done investigations and stuff like that. We've done the you know the electronic. Uh, what's it? Is the uh, EV? Uh, what does he call it? Voice recording, the white noise thing. Yeah. So like we're asking yeah. questions of of the ghost and that sort EVP? of thing, and no, okay. we've been, we've taken mediums with us, and you know we've we've put a fair bit of effort into this and at mm. no point whatsoever the entire time throughout all of our investigations did anything paranormal ever occur yep now just to go back a sec when uh, one thing i will say just play devil's advocate again um that when you're in the thick of something recording it might not be at the forefront of your mind when yeah. all this shit is going yep. on like went to, to go oh i should get a sample of the slime or take photographs or something like it's it is very easy to when you're in the moment or something to not think about that kind but of stuff. Wouldn't you but you go like, like like having mold growing I, on your on your walls yeah, and your I, roof is like a like that's 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 a pretty sort of common thing. That's actually yeah. dangerous to your children if they're breathing in those spores. So straight away you would go, okay, oh, look, we need to do something about this. Seventy six though, children. it's probably but, a bit free and yeah, free I'd, and easy in terms of, hey. Hey, mate, you fixed my door before. Can you come and have a look at the mould in my yeah. roof? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the building contractor that's going around to fix everything is just like, yeah, sweet. Let's ramp up the haunting stuff going on there. I'm making sweet sweet cash here out of this ridiculous, stupid family. All right, let's... Uh, I've got pages and pages of stuff of this still to go to explain a lot okay, of things. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, after fleeing the house, or perhaps during the time they were there, or some say even before they moved in... The Lutzes met up with Ronnie DeFeo Jr.'s lawyer, William Weber. Uh, quote, he told us a number of strange stories about the housekeeper for the DeFeo family and different events that had taken place over the years that he had heard, George said in an interview shortly before he died in 2006. Now, George claims that they only met with the lawyer subsequent to living in the house, but there's a lot of people that suggest they actually met prior. Weber had taken DeFeo's case for a modest fee and told reporters he was getting more out of this from the publicity. Just weeks after the Lutzes fled the house, Weber organized a press conference in his office. After the Lutzes had with the Lutzes there, after the Lutzes had told the assembled reporters an abridged version of their haunted house story, 
which left out some of the more extraordinary and now famous parts of the tale. Weber said he hoped to reopen DeFeo's case and to blame his client's actions on a supernatural presence in the house. He never ended up filing any such motion, but that was his aim at that time. Is mm. there is there any like precedent for a crime being blamed on a paranormal source? Uh, like, and, yeah. and I'm talking like in the modern era. Like, I feel you know. like there was something, uh, and I can't remember what it was, but I feel like I've heard of that before. And like in the 20th century, of a ghost being blamed for influencing somebody's behavior. Yeah, or I can't remember what it was. Committing a crime. This feels like an episode. It, it does. Yeah, yeah. I'll have, we'll to, have to look um, into that. Yeah. Uh, around this time, a news crew was also invited to witness a seance in the house. Paranormal expo- experts were invited to conduct the seance and all agreed something was up with the house and that an evil presence was there. Among them were Ed and Lorraine Warren and their involvement in the uh, Amityville case helped make their name in the field of paranormal investigation. This led to their involvement in a host of books and documentaries as well as inspiring the Conjuring film series. Now, the Warrens were last-minute replacements uh, at the seance for parapsychologist Dr. Stephen Kaplan, who was kicked out for saying that if if it was a hoax, he was going to say so. And when he said, you know, well. when he told them that, they went, all right, you're off. You're not part of it. Mm. <laughs> George Lutz said Weber also introduced the Lutzes to, quote, a criminologist who turned out to be a writer named Paul Hoffman, who had covered the DeFeo case for the New York Daily News. On April the 1st, 1977, 14 and a half months after the Lutzes fled 112 Ocean Avenue, a new family moved into the house. The Cromarty family had been in the house for about a week when Paul Hoffman published an article in Good Housekeeping magazine titled, Our Dream House Was Haunted. Now, th- so this case, there was a press conference earlier, um, like a year or so ago, and a TV crew went and did a seance, whatever, but this article is the one that really popularized the myth and sort of put it out in people's minds for some and reason. And that, that mm. famous photo of the house with, yeah. like, with the face sort of looking thing was like, I remember that was kind of front and center in that story. Yeah. The Lutzes sued Hoffman, Good Housekeeping, the New York Daily News, and other publications and people who republished the article or details of, of it claiming an invasion of privacy. What? They also sued William Weber. Their lawsuit was unsuccessful, possibly because it was at the behest of a publishing house, Prentice Hall, who had already signed the Lutzes to a book deal and were furious that a journalist had beaten them to the punch. The book, the book was written by Jay Anson and called The Amateurville Horror. Now, the claims of invasion of, pi- of privacy and Prentice Hall's feelings that the rug had been taken out from, from under them were strange considering uh, the previous press conferences and the seance, although none of these things attracted as much attention as Hoffman's article in Good Housekeeping. Five months after the article's release, Jay Anson's book came out, spent 42 weeks in the bestsellers list, and eventually sold more than 6.5 million copies. Anson and Prentice Hall promoted the book on the strength that it was a work of non-fiction, much like William Peter Blatty had done when he released The Exorcist just three and a half years earlier. Hmm. Uh, quote, There is simply too much independent corroboration of their narrative to support the speculation that the Lutzes either imagined or fabricated these events Anson said at the time of publication. <laughs> however, but there's not. However, many researchers disagree. The so-called Amateurville horror is one of the most studied hauntings ever, and many who have studied it have raised serious questions about the veracity of the Lutzes' claims and Anson's book. 
they note more than 100 factual errors and discrepancies between Anson's so-called true story and the truth. These include, and I couldn't fit them all in because there's a hundred of them, but these include the fact that the Native Americans that were said to live where the house was, as mentioned in Anson's book, did not live in that area (laughs) at all, nor did they use the place to leave the sick or disabled to die. Or cage their own kind. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A devil worshipper mentioned the book that was supposed to live in the area as buried that didn't live anywhere near there. Exactly. Yep. The secret red room was simply a plumber's access space and the Lutzes would have been aware of it when they bought the house because it's on the fucking plans. Oh, man. Father Pecorero told one interviewer that he never experienced anything strange at the house at all. In fact, in an affidavit he signed as part of a court case in the late 70s, he said he never even went to the house and had merely spoken to the Lutzes once on the phone. He also widely denounced the claims that his church's residence smelt like shit. So <laughs> she, the the author, just completely made up this this guy's entire account of what occurred. Pecorero later appeared on Leonard Nimoy's show in search of, with his face blurred out, and recanted a small part of his denial claim that he did go to the house and he did hear a voice say "get out" while blessing the house. So he signs. A legal court document in an affidavit that, that oh. says he never went to the house. He never heard anything. What the fuck? But then he appears on a TV show with his face blurred out and goes, oh, yeah, I heard him say, get out. Well, okay. so, yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. Yeah. If, if, Can you if please Leonard, give me something, uh, the money if, and something if that's Leonard not Nimoy a like, comes up to you and says, hey, I'm going to give you 500 bucks if you'll come on. Just just, <laughs> yeah. just come and be on the show and just say, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, as, a, as a holy man, it's probably not right to lie. Oh, here's $500. Check for $500. Okay, I'm on the show. <laughs> now, one of the researchers who raised questions about the veracity of the story was Joe Nickel. In uh, among the things that he found, he noted the Lutzes could not have found hoof prints in the snow when they said they did because weather records showed there had been no snowfall. Mm. The book also detailed extensive damage to the house's doors, windows, hinges, locks, and doorknobs that had to have been repaired. Yet the Cromartis, who moved in after the Lutzes, noticed all the original hardware remained and there was no signs of damage or repair. Hmm. Well, Lutz, more like parts. <laughs> <laughs> Nichols' research also found the Lutzes never once called the police during their 28-day stint at the house. Snopes.com wrote that, quote, over and over, both big claims and small details were refuted by eyewitnesses, investigations, and forensic evidence. They added that through it all, the Lutzes stuck to their story, reaping tens of thousands of dollars from the book and the film rights. Bastards. One element of Anson's book that appears true is that the Lutzes were suffering money troubles before they moved into the house on Ocean Avenue. Mm. Eventually, despite the Lutzes' continued claims it was all true, the lawyer, William Weber, admitted the story was entirely made up. The particulars changed over the years. In relation to... uh, Weber said the green slime on the walls was initially fingerprint dust, then spaghetti sauce, then there was no slime, and then there was slime. Mm. But Weber's admission in sworn testimony that it was a hoax never changed. So he's kind of maybe he's a bit sketchy, but all the all the while he's once he owned up that it was a hoax, he said that never he never changed his story on that. He told People Magazine in 1979, "We created this horror story over many bottles of wine. Many have suggested that the release and enormous success of the Exorcist book and film just a few years earlier was a huge influence on the creation of the story." Uh. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Weber claimed that after concocting the story, which he was going to use to reopen the DeFeo case, the Lutzes shut him out of any publishing deals, which is when Weber decided to come clean and counter-sued. Mm. Even Ronnie DeFeo Jr. was in on it. Amateurville was a hoax that Weber and the Lutzes started, he said from prison. Yes, to make money. It started as my trial was in progress. Holy crap. Uh, it's worth noting that George Lutz eventually admitted there was no slime. In fact, piece by piece, George admitted many elements of the story were embellished, which made it harder to believe the story as a whole. In fact, there isn't a, a single person outside of the Lutz family who is able to cor- corroborate a single part of the story, despite, according to Jansen's book, there being numerous visitors, including a police officer, Kathy's mother, contractors, handf- even a handful of neighbours and relatives who all purported to have felt strange vibes or noticed the Lutz's agitated states. In fact, some of the so-called witnesses in Anson's book threatened the Lutzes and Anson with court actions and were quietly rewritten out of later editions of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. As for Anson, once the initial publicity was over, his enthusiasm for its, quote, true story status waned. He told People Magazine in 1978, I'm a professional writer. I don't believe and I don't disbelieve. I leave that to the reader. God, what a cop out. Yeah. Then there's the Cromartie family. Now, they sued the Lutzes, Anson, and the publisher, Prentice Hall, for $1.1 million in assorted damages for fraud, trying to get them to admit the whole thing was a hoax and deter the hordes of sightseers who came to gawk at their home or asked to come inside. Yeah, I remember um, watching a documentary on the Amityville Horror and... They went to to go and interview the people that that were living there, and there was like people driving up on the street, like while they were there interviewing them about you know how annoying it is to have people coming up to your house all the time. There was people pulling up and getting out of the car and had binoculars, and they were like looking at the house. And God, we're just we're just weird humans, aren't we? Like, but, we're just <laughs> how how fucked would it be to live in that house after that? Like the, there's. I mean, Always not even, people not even the haunting stuff, but the fact that, what, four people, three people had died there? Uh, six people, I think, yeah. Six people. I think, uh, how do you kill? Yeah, his parents, his two brothers, and his two sisters. Jesus. So, but I mean, but aside from, yeah, aside from living in a house where people have died, I mean, that doesn't really bother me so much. But what would annoy the piss really? out of me is people, yeah, is like... You think about the number of houses you've lived in. Yeah, but I mean... There's pretty good odds that someone has died in one of them oh, in yeah. their sleep or something. I don't, it doesn't totally. Really... I mean, I, I get that in terms of, like, natural causes, but in terms of, like, a, a horrific fucking gun crime, like... Okay, Brady, but... let's let, let's peel back your, your, your thinking here. If I was to tell you that this lounge room that we're sitting in right now, somebody had been shot in the head with a gun mm. yeah, and yeah, they yeah. died, yep. what influence would that have on you? Oh, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I'm not going to take it to the nth degree of like, now I can see glowing eyes in the reflection of the <laughs> TV a, out I the window. I could get a book deal out of this. But, get- it's more, but it's more that it's just like kind of unsettling to know what's previously happened in this room. Look, I agree. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, can, I can see that, that point of view. You'd be sitting there and you'd be thinking, oh, Jesus, like... Yeah, I mean, Some, you, somebody died. You think here about and, am I like am I sitting in the spot where the shooter was or where the body is? Like just things like that. It's, yeah, it's not. It's nothing that would make me think I've got to get out of this house immediately. No, it's more it's, just that's weird. But if you're the yeah, certain kind of type of person that is 
is perhaps having money trouble, mm. uh, down on their luck. Maybe they're kind of susceptible to these kind of things. They start taking it to the nth degree. They start going, oh, totally. oh I'm feeling the what, what that person was feeling or yeah, I'm seeing the, what I that person was presence. seeing. Or, the, yeah. And, and they start just, to invent shit. And, well, and, the only true part of that story is that they got a house cheap because they didn't have much money. <laughs> And and they got it cheap because six people had died in it. Yeah, had been murdered. I'm going to yeah. say that 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 he actually bought the house on purpose with the intention of doing this. Well, yeah, so that's what DeFeo claimed from Jack. He said they were already planning this while my trial was going on. They'd already planned that the um, the Lutzes had met with Weber, and they were already figuring out this is this is what we're going to do. Yeah, and then went ahead. And how did it. yeah? How shit must you feel? When a person who's killed six of his family members is the voice of reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm, uh, I, I know that there will be people out there that are listening to, to this story and they'll be going, well, but, and it's, it's, this, it's the same catch, catch all every time. Well, you're not opening yourself up to, you know, you've, you've got to open yourself up to receive and see these kind of things or to understand that this was. Or even you know, just to the possibilities. You've got to be like vibrating on the same, fr- like fuck off, <laughs> fuck the 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 hell off. That is, this is a the angriest I've seen Duda in a good while. I know. This, I love that the Colonel is like fully willing to believe a whole lot of other crazy shit, but when it comes to ghosts and stuff, he's like, fuck no, I'm not having a bar it's, of this mumbo jumbo. No, it's because I've actually put time into into yeah. looking into it, and every time it's just nothing. It's mm. Fucking bupkin. And, and this is a great example because this one is so studied. Uh, there is just so much stuff. There's so many holes in the story. Uh, and um, it's worth pointing out too that the... So, with the Karmatis, when they sued the Lutzes and the publishers and the writer and everything, they that it was settled out of court for an undisclosed six-figure sum. Jeez. So, rather than go through the thing and, and have the courts rule, this is a hoax, you need to pay. Yeah. They just went, look, make this court case go away. Here's... A million dollars. Six hundred thousand dollars or something. Yeah, yeah. God, what a payday. For a lie. Yeah. But is it still worth it for the, you know, the shit of having people fucking driving up your house all day? Knocking on the doorbell. Can I come and see that? Well, they moved on eventually. But but it's happened for every subsequent owners of the Mm. house. Um, Kathy died in 2004 and George died in 2006. And they remained adamant that their story was true up until their deaths. Yeah. Um, But what about the kids? Melissa has never been interviewed. Mm. And whether it really happened or not, Danny and Chris believe it did, but with their own twist on things. They also claim to remember, quote, shadowy figures and being thrown up a staircase by malevolent spirits, according to one article. But these are kids who were nine and seven. Yeah, at the time. They were just, it's such irresponsible parenting to be saying to your children that these things are going on inside your house. Like, how the fuck? Like, I'm sure they're fucked up from it. Uh, so, Danny claims he was possessed. But this was because George, his father, had summoned bad spirits while dabbling in the occult. Chris also bl- blames George, with both boys remembering their stepdad as domineering and punishing. Mm. Mm. And that's the end of the story. What a wild ride. So, uh, it's a big fat nose all round for the Amateurville Horror in terms of can you believe it? Absolutely not. And look, if you're listening to this and you think that we're that perhaps I'm being too harsh on, on this phenomenon and you know of stories where it actually has, you know, some proof and... and- <laughs> 
let us know, man. Jump in the comments think- and slide into our DMs <laughs> and let us know because I want to look at it. I want to see that evidence that, the, that you're talking about. On the back about. of this, I'm just going to make an alias Facebook and just Stop jab comments. the fuck out of Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> I, this isn't going to be the last haunting that we cover. In, no, in absolutely podcast, not. And so. I, I think we should totally do one on um, the, uh, what are they called? The paranormal investigators from the Warrens. Andrew. We should totally do one on that because I've heard some pretty interesting things about fabricated evidence and mm. stuff like that. So, yep. we should definitely do one. There's, um, yeah, look, I'm not, um, I'm not saying that on the strength of, or the, rather the weakness of the details of the Amateurville case that all hauntings would necessarily be proven to be untrue. Doc believes. No, no, no. I'm just, just... he believes, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm just saying that this is a, this is, no, I don't believe, but but I'm not just going to dismiss them without looking at the evidence. So you believe. No, no, I'm going to look at the fucking evidence. Yeah, but still. <laughs> but there, but uh, there is no evidence. Exactly. Yeah, there is. But <laughs> exactly, there, there is evidence. No, no, no. There is no evidence. Right. Oh, okay. Thank yeah. you. But I'm still going to look at what people say is the evidence, like this, like a fucking red. The most of. Yeah. yeah. Swear to God, oh, if you yeah. tell me you believe this, I'll nail you to the. You're, wall. Op- <laughs> you're open to the idea of ghosts. I want to be convinced, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Me yeah. too. So I will me look too. at. Sh- I will look at the st- the stuff that people have. Yeah. About yeah. this stuff, and I looked at all the Amateurville stuff, but every time I looked at something, there was a hundred things questioned. I mean, it was probably a good one to do because it's the most famous. Yeah. But in terms of like what's the most unexplained haunting kind of thing like where stuff weirdly starts lining up yeah yeah look if you've got an uh, if you know of a story that you think is more convincing in terms of proving a haunting a ghosts poltergeist demon fucking pig heads <laughs> um let us know like we'll look into it we'll we'll do a, a podcast on it and and we'll talk about it so and if if you do want to read more about this all these sources will be somewhere for you to find uh, and you can check it out yourself. Don't watch the Ryan Reynolds movie. Watch the original 80s one. That's so much better. Yeah, the Ryan Reynolds one kind of sucks. Mm. Anyway, that's it. Good night. Bye. Bye.